Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Kevin McGrath. Thanks for being on the show, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me, Whitney. Glad to be here. Yeah, Kevin began his commercial real estate career in 2007. And in that time, uh, he's been involved in leasing, acquisition, and disposition of more than $1 billion in industrial real estate throughout the United States. Kevin uh, had a successful 12-year career as a senior vice president with CBRE specializing in industrial brokerage and in 2019 switched to investing full-time as he became the principal with Cardinal Industrial, an, an owner and operator of 12 million square feet of industrial property. He is deeply passionate about investing in real estate as he sees it as a vehicle to produce passive income that's creating time freedom. Kevin, welcome to the show. I mean, you have a, a great background, and I know you're going to be a great guest. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, I know you know you, you. I just want I want to hear a little about your your background, how you transitioned, you know, from uh, CBRE to uh, you know getting in as a, a even passive and also active, uh, but then just your specialized niche to an industrial, uh, you know, and how that's how that's uh, been how it's been working right now, you know, through COVID pre versus post COVID. Uh, but get us started a little bit with your your background and your movement into you know the active space. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on again, Wendy. Uh, I got started in real estate, commercial real estate, in two thousand seven, like like you said, in in brokerage in in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from originally. And my my niche at the time was was or still is what was industrial real estate. When I got into it, Wendy, I didn't know anything about industrial. It, it just so happened that the team I interviewed with. I got along with them well, our personalities meshed, and they had a spot on their team for a junior broker. So in a way, I just kind of fell into industrial. And I'm sitting here where I am today. I'm glad I did. There were certainly some, some bumpy times getting started because I started in 2007, had a, a, a one year of salary, then came off salary in the fall of 2008, which if, if you remember, that, that was when the, the market collapsed and the start of the, the Great Recession. So it was not a great time to be to get to get started in, in in real estate, especially coming off of salary going on to 100% commission. But was able to 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 fight through it, to persist, and uh, it, it was really helpful to have two senior level partners who helped me a lot and were great mentors for me. And uh, continued with a, a successful brokerage career. And fast forward to uh, about two, 2018, I got the the bug. To, uh, to start investing passively in, in real estate, I, I was tired of my money not much, doing much in the stock market. I was investing conservatively in index funds and it, and it really wasn't going anywhere. And I, I wanted some passive income that I could really provide kind of a safety net or, or a cushion because of the grind of, of, of brokerage where you're starting over every year at zero. And I, I got started in, uh, like I said, in, in 2018, had some friends who were her syndicators full time, started learning more about what they were doing, all the tax advantages that, that were involved. And I knew that this is what, something that I wanted to get into full time. And, and I, I made the leap about uh, really the spring of, of 2019 
when, when I left CBRE and joined Cardinal Industrial, which owns about 12 million square feet of, of industrial across the country, mainly in the Midwest and the Southeast. And uh, it, it's been a, a great ride since. Nice. Well, uh, you know, grateful just to hear some of your story. I, I find that most of us, uh, you know, didn't have a direct path to, to becoming an operator or buying large commercial real estate. You know, there's some something else we were doing or something that led us there. It wasn't like you're five years old, typically thinking, you know what, I'm going to be a syndicator. So, uh, you know, it's interesting just to hear your story uh, and definitely a, a great background to become an operator and get into this space. Uh, uh, no doubt about it. Let's dive into just the industrial world a little bit. And, and uh, you know, why? I know you said you fell into it as a junior broker, um, but uh, even at that point, you know, obviously that's post uh, COVID and all that stuff, you know, why industrial versus, you know, multifamily or uh, senior living or, you know, anything else, uh, you know, all the other asset classes that you could have could have gotten into? Well, I, I think what, what industrial ha- has done, and I'll talk about it post COVID kind of where we are today, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, not to pit one against the other, because, you know, I still invest passively in multifamily. And, uh, you know, th- th- there's, several great vehicles to, to invest in f- throughout the, the different sectors in, in commercial real estate. But I think what, what industrial has proved over the last really uh, six, eight months since, since COVID, how resilient it is. Uh, you know, supposedly right now we're, we're in a recession, but in, in my world, it's anything but. I mean, it, it, it's probably as, as active or competitive uh, today than it's ever been any time over the last 20 years. And a lot of that is because of e-commerce. You've probably read a lot about it or heard a lot about e-commerce. And I'm sure you've had a lot of hands-on experience buying goods and services over the internet. And that's been the absolute game changer for industrial. We can talk more about that in some of the stats Please. and research that have come out since COVID. At the end of 2019, e-commerce it accounted for roughly about 15% of all uh, retail sales. And it was growing at about a 15% clip year over year for the last 10 years. So it was really steady growth. And what COVID has done is really accelerated that. Um, This year, in the 12 months since, e-commerce now is going to account for about 25% of all retail sales. So there was a huge jump uh, because of COVID because people couldn't get out and shop. And they were forced to, to buy products online. And I think what we're going to see through the holidays, this, this holiday season, is, is even more of a jump. I mean, it, it's going to be absolutely going gangbusters for um, these retailers and the, the, the amount of, they call it adoption, how many new users are, 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 are coming and buying things online. And th- there's a stat that recently came out that e-commerce sales are projected to, to hit about $700 billion this year. By 2025, that number is going to go up to $1.5 trillion. And what that means, Whitney, is, is that $800 million delta is going to create a demand of 1 billion square feet of, of uh, industrial space that's going to be needed. And it's, it's such a huge, significant number because it doesn't matter if it's industrial, multifamily, or office. What drives an investors and what we do is, is tenant demand. You need tenant demand. And that's what e-commerce is giving industrial real estate is just significant tenant demand that d- developers really can't keep up building enough warehouse space before it gets absorbed. Can you talk about that tenant just a little bit? Maybe just how 
how that's changed over the last year or two and then through COVID or COVID or maybe how you see that changing over the next few years as there's such a demand? Uh, you know, what, you know, is it is it more just warehouse space now or, you know, was it, uh, you know, are there other types of tenants that you're looking for? The, the biggest driver, again, is e-commerce and e-commerce users. And, and again, this, this could be, uh, you know, the Amazon, Walmarts. Any retailer that that has an online presence could be it could be considered an e-commerce user or occupier. They, they account for about twenty five percent of the overall in, industrial base or industrial users. So it's still it's only about a fourth of all industrial users. And what we're seeing is it's really the rising tide uh, lifts all boats theory that these e-commerce uh, users are growing at such a clip. It's creating such demand that these other um, industrial tenants, such as uh, you know manufacturers, it could be uh, retailers, but but uh, retailers that are uh, distributing to stores, it could be third-party logistics companies, which are if you're not familiar, they are basically when a company outsources their warehousing or their logistics, they are having to go out and find space and compete with these e-commerce companies. And what it's doing, it's raising rental rates and it's, it's causing these, these other users to go out and lease space that the e-commerce companies are not. So, so it's, 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 they're being driven down to the class B product in the e-commerce users. A lot of them are occupying only class A product. What's the biggest risk right now? Let's, and let's say for a passive investor, you know, when investing with, with an operator that's, that's purchasing industrial property. I, I would say the, uh, the the biggest risk is a, a lot of the the industrial buildings. I shouldn't say a lot. I mean, it, it just depends um, which type of product. But what we acquire mainly, Whitney, is is single tenant assets, uh, leased long term to to credit worthy tenants. And sometimes when when the lease expires, tenants don't renew. So I, I would say that that's probably the 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 biggest downside is if, if if you're investing in a single tenant asset and the the tenant does not renew and moves out. Now, having said that, we we go into a deal when we acquire it, knowing that this could happen. So we we set aside a significant amount of reserves, and then also the tenant must give us notice, typically six to nine months before the lease expires, if they're going to renew or not. So that six or nine months is kind of a buffer where it allows us to go out and try try to at least the uh, the uh, the property out to to another tenant. What is the typical time it would take to release something? I know I know there's so many factors there, type of property and location and all these things. Uh, but you know when you're just looking at a property or or you are underwriting something like that, you know and you're trying to calculate that amount of reserves that you need for that time. You know how do we do that? Or you know if I'm a passive investor looking to say you know I want to invest with you, Kevin. Well, you know I, I may ask you. Well, you know how do how do you know how long? you know, we need to account for that vacancy and how much reserves do you have? Like you said before, it depends on, 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 the, on the market. It also depends on, on the vacancy size. So, if, you know, if it's 100,000 square feet in, in an A location in, in a first or second tier market, you know, you're, you're looking at maybe four to six months right now uh, versus if it's a 800,000 square foot huge uh, distribution center in, in a tertiary market, you know, it, it could be 12 to 18 months. So we know that going in. Typically, we we hold about uh, six months of reserves, and then working with our lenders um, as well. I would say we six to nine months reserves. And that's in addition to the six to nine months that that we typically have 
to, to go out and uh, market the property if the tenant doesn't exercise the renewal option. You know, having said that, all, all of this, this happens pretty infrequently. You know, we'll, we'll have maybe one vacancy like this every every couple of years. It, it, it's not very frequent that it, that it happens. Nice. And I think typically they're, it's pretty long-term leases, right? They are. Yeah. And, and it just depends what, 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 what operator and, and kind of their appetite and their investor's appetite for, for risk. We're, we're looking for five years of lease term for longer. And, uh, you know, depending on the situation, maybe we'll go a little bit shorter, but, but on average, when it's, it's five years or, uh, of lease term or longer. In the, in the, just the current state of the market or just with COVID, everything that's happening right now, are you all buyers, sellers? Are you sitting on the sideline? What's your all's take? We, we are, we are buyers and sellers. And we, it's like I said before, super, super competitive right now. There's so much capital pouring into industrial real estate. A lot of it at the, at the highest level, institutional money where their, their cost of capital is so inexpensive compared to ours that it's, it's hard to compete. So we have to differentiate ourselves a little bit. We'll go into maybe markets where they won't. So, so second and tertiary markets, we'll buy product that they won't. Maybe a little bit older, class B. A, a metal building that maybe isn't aesthetically as pleasing to the eye. We just have to do things a little bit differently right now to find deals. We have to look harder. We have to look a little bit longer. We have to rely on our broker relationships to do so. Um, but uh, it, it's a really competitive environment. So that's why it's a good selling environment. I mean, it, it's uh, we, we are the, the nice thing about being with a kind of a smaller boutique firm is, is that we, we can be agile. And if we get an unsolicited offer for a property and it makes sense, we'll sell it. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're actively selling and buying right now. For an industrial property, you know, how should I, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm fixing to passively invest, what should I be asking to make sure that that operator is prepared for a potential downturn? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I guess we're in a downturn right now. So, so some would say, but I, I think it's, I think it's important to have, again, reserves going in, in into a, a building in a market that has a, enough users in the adjacent area that if if the tenant did move out, that there's going to be enough demand nearby that it can be backfilled quickly and, and relatively easily. I, I think those are, are really two important things. But I mean, industrial in a sense is a lot more hands-off from, from a management point of view than, than, than it would be for a, you know, a multifamily syndicator such as yourself. Way less issues as far as uh, trying to, to go out, the turnover and, and dealing with, with, with the tenants, it, it's a little less management intensive. So it, it makes it a little bit easier to, to, to scale on the industrial side without having a huge management presence. No doubt about it. Very different type of operation for sure. So, you know, going back just a little bit and talking, thinking about, you know, your, your path to becoming an operator and, and becoming, you know, active uh, versus the high paying W2 to uh, being a passive investor. Um, you know, what's really been the hardest part of that process for you? A, a couple things. First, having enough gumption to actually do it. I, you know, it's, it's something I was kicking around for a year. And I, I remember I, I would leave quite a bit my W2 job and uh, it, it was... Looking back on it, I mean, it was I was making a lot of money. Uh, I was comfortable. I, I was established, but I would leave almost every single day with this kind of pit in my stomach, no, knowing that you know there was something else that I wanted to do. So actually, you know, having enough courage to go out and actually do it was was the tough part. And then actually, once I got started, 
what was most daunting for me was 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 raising the capital, or, or at least trying to. Now, what made it a little bit easier for me was I had the relationships from the brokerage side to actually dig up the deals. That that made it easier. So it made sense for me, and it was more synergistic to join a firm that needed deals and had the the investor bench where they could fund the deals, but they just needed more of them. So again, it, it made sense from that standpoint where I could I could bring the relationships and bring more deals. And then there was the, the equity that was waiting to, to fund them. It's it's neat to hear. I mean, like you talk about having the courage, uh, you know, to step out there and you think, you know, so many, you know, may have, may or may not have that high paying W2, uh, but it, but it's it's very difficult to to step out and say, you know what, I'm, I, I, you know, you felt that pit in your stomach, like you talked about, and just stepping out to make that happen. Uh, any pushback, you know, family, anybody saying, wait a minute, Kevin, you know, you're crazy. Uh, you know, how did you, how did you handle that? Uh, no, I mean, I would say, yeah, my family was surprised probably. Uh, no one said anything to my face. I'm sure behind the back, my back, they were probably thinking I was crazy. Uh, but you know, it's, it's been almost two years now and I still get uncomfortable to this day. I mean, there there were so many moments, especially that first year where I was so uncomfortable. And I I just know looking back that it's kind of going to shape who I am, not only as a business person, but as a person, it's going to make me better. And one of the things I did, Whitney, was um, to, to really help me quantify my decision making. There was an exercise by Tim Ferriss called, I think it was fear setting. And if, if your listeners Google uh, fear setting Tim Ferriss, it's just a really good exercise to, again, quantify whatever risk you want to take, whether it's you know it's switching to a, to a high paying or leaving a high paying job or whatever it is what you, you want to do. Uh, that involves some sort of risk and makes you uncomfortable. It just helps lay it out. And that really helped me again to, 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 to quantify it. And, and, uh, and really what, what it did was, you know, at the end of the day, if it didn't work out, I can always go back to, to where I was before. And in doing so, I would become a better broker, picking up the knowledge that, uh, that, that, that I did along the way. So there was really not as much downside as, as I probably thought. Kevin, do you have a couple of, of daily habits that have helped you uh, achieve success? Yeah, a, a few. Uh, I exercise four to five times a week. I do CrossFit. I try, try to do it at the, you know, either five or six o'clock in the morning to, to have a routine. Meditation has been really important for me, doing meditation uh, once or twice a day. I, really, I recently got into to journaling. And, and that's been really, really helpful for me to, to get my, my thoughts and my feelings out <laughs> where I was repressing them and actually get them on, on paper. So th- th- those, uh, those three things have been really, really important to, uh, to alleviate some stress and uh, really fulfill my growth and potential. Is journaling something you do electronically or, or like handwriting? No, I handwrite. Yeah. So I have a book and uh, some, some days it's easier to get things out. So, you know, some days I'll have a page or two, other days I'll have just a paragraph and uh, really whatever is top of mind, you put it on paper. And uh, that they, again, it, it's, it's something that I had tried in the past and I, I couldn't get, I couldn't be very consistent at it. But, you know, the last six months or so, I've really made an effort. And once I got in the routine and, and got consistent doing it, it became easier and easier. And I, I think it's really helped me again, 
get things out because I, 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 I probably like most guys, I, I keep things inward. And it's been, again, really helpful to just be, uh, it's freeing and, and liberating really just to get things out. I meant to ask you, I know we've talked about parts of this, uh, but just from your standpoint, your experience, you know, where, where do you see just the real estate market in general, you know, say six to 12 months from now? I, I think industrial, again, continues at, at its current pace, if, if, if not uh, gets even more frantic. Um, I, I think when the first quarter rolls around and some of the, the stats come out about how well e-commerce has performed over the holiday season. I, I think it's it's going to be even more competitive. It's hard for me to kind of fathom that, but but I, I think so. As far as the other sectors, it, it's it's kind of tough to say, Whitney. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert in, in multifamily. I know enough to be dangerous, but when when all the, the 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 government stimulus and everything, when all of it goes away, and you know we go through the winter and maybe the COVID cases keep increasing. You know, it, it might be a tough first half of the year for for some multifamily. Uh, you know, at least you know on the occupancy and, and probably definitely not any rent growth. So, um, I think in the long run, multifamily is a great play. But the, the next twelve months might be a little bumpy. And um, but I, I think for people to just have some patience, and uh, you know, I think that the storm will pass over for sure. No, I think that's. Uh, pretty accurate. I think if, you don't, if you're expecting much rent growth uh, over the next year and and don't have any reserves or enough reserves, uh, you you may be hurting, unfortunately. Uh, but but hopefully not. Well, you know, uh, no one knows for sure. But uh, what's your best source for meeting new investors right now? Podcast, yeah, content, and uh, word of mouth. Yeah, just just asking people who who they know. I think those are the three best sources. Uh, yeah, but po- podcasts, getting on podcasts are uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty remarkable source of letting people know who you are and what you're doing. I agree. And what's been the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Two things, I think. Persistence, n- never giving up. Because so often in what we do, in really business and life in general, you hear so many objections, you hear so many no, just being able to, to push through that having some thick skin and then also always be open to, to learning and thirsting for, 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 for knowledge as cheesy as it might sound, but um, I'm really into personal development and the more I've gotten into it over the years, I mean, there's a direct correlation to, to what success I've had. There's no doubt about it. Can you, is there a specific resource that have helped, that has helped you just with personal development? I also just think it's directly related to, uh, you know, your business success and things like that. But what about you? Have you just improved, you know, as far as personal development? Yeah. So I, I think for, for people, uh, I, I guess something's easy people can do is whenever they're driving, uh, always be listening to their podcasts or, you know, CDs in your car. I mean, that's something that easy they, they, they can do. I think having a, a morning routine is really, really important. I, I recommend Hal Elrod's book, uh, I think, The Morning Miracle. Um, the Miracle Morning, yeah. Miracle Morning, there you go. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a great resource and not too difficult to implement. You know, it might take someone who doesn't have a morning routine a month or so to, to get used to it. But once they do, it would be tough for them to go back to their old uh, morning habits. I mean, it, it really is that much of a game changer 
to have success during the day. So yeah, that's that's what I would recommend to you know some something someone can do um, and pick up right away. How do you like to give back? I like volunteering, be, be, being uh, being hands on. I would say that the organization I'm most active in is Special Olympics. I've been a coach there uh, in multiple sports uh, over the years, and uh, it's a great organization. Nice. Well, Kevin, I'm I'm grateful for your time. Pleasure to have met you and just really hear your story going, you know, from a junior broker, you know, especially in when you became a junior broker, 2007, eight, uh, you know, and through that time uh, being relying on a commission at the worst time, probably to rely on a commission in the real estate business uh, that we can remember. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then moving into passive and active uh, and just in industrial space, you know, I don't have too many guests that talk, focus on industrial. So it's great to hear your take and just uh, you know what's happening in that space right now uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you sure the best way to get in touch with me is my personal website it's mcgrathindustrial.com and i have an ebook there on industrial uh, real estate and uh, a little bit into passive investing that uh, could be a, a, a good free resource for them and uh, as well as some other content so my email address is is on the website as well. And if you have anyone has any questions or wants to get on our distribution list to see our deals, uh, all that information is, is on the website. Awesome, Kevin. That's a wrap. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. When it was a pleasure. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.